Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and chapter number 20. The book of Exodus and chapter number 20. We are continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Moses. And as we've traveled with the children of Israel through Egypt, past the Red Sea, we have now parked ourselves outside of Mount Sinai. And as we had saw on Sunday night, that there was a preparation for the people to meet with God. And there is a preparation to meet with God. There's an expectation to meet with God. And we explain that you get a lot more out of the services if you plan on meeting with God, rather than just showing up and checking a box. And now we come to the meat of this passage, what is commonly called the Ten Commandments. Now remember, the Ten Commandments is not ten suggestions or ten things that would be nice to do, but ten commandments from God Himself. In fact, in verse 2, it starts off that, I am the Lord thy God. And with each one of these Ten Commandments, you could put that preface in front of each one of the commandments, I am the Lord thy God. What makes anything wrong? What makes lying wrong? Because God said it was wrong. What makes fornication wrong? Because God said it was wrong. You understand that God is the authority here. Not Moses and not pastor. God is the authority. And by the way, it is by this authority that every person, every person will be judged by this God And his authority and his word. And so if you wouldn't mind, look with me if you don't mind. In the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus in chapter number 20. Exodus in chapter number 20. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 1. Exodus 20 in verse 1. The Bible says this. And God spake all these words saying... I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not Hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I am the Lord thy God. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it shall thou do, (coughs) not do any work. 
Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. I am the Lord thy God. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not kill. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not commit adultery. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not steal. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And with this, we could see what is commonly called the Ten Commandments, but also remembering the purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. I would like to entitle this message tonight, Revealing God through the Ten Commandments. Revealing God through the Ten Commandments. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. A God who is righteous, a God who is holy. And you have given this not only to give us your standards of holiness, not only to show us our need of you, but also to reveal who you are to us as you show us your character. I'm asking that you would be revealed tonight, that you would be honored, glorified, magnified, that you would be worshipped tonight because of our knowledge and revealing of whom you are. Again, because this is a subject so vast and so powerful, and I'm so inept and so small, once again, the best I know how, I surrender me to you. My thoughts, my opinions, I give you my tongue, my thoughts, my desires, my ambitions, my goals, what I think should happen. I give them to you. I reckon myself dead and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit once again for the purpose that you would show yourself, manifest, reveal yourself to us through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Ten Commandments is something that most people are familiar with, but most people probably could not quote them. Most people don't know what they are. I remember knocking doors on one day, and I knocked on a door, and I asked a guy, are you 100% sure if you'd die today that you'd go to heaven? He says, absolutely. Well, I said, well, there's not a lot of people who know that for sure. How do you know that you're going to heaven? He says, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. Wow, I've really never found anybody who met the Ten Commandments. Can you name them? He just looked at me. Well, you said you live by them. Do you know any of them? Just name one. It doesn't have to be in order. And he kind of stumbled around for a second. And I said, well, you know, let me tell you what the Ten Commandments are. And we went through this list. And as we go through the Ten Commandments, one of the things that you see is God's standard for righteousness. And as you go through this list, and you understand this list, one thing is apparent, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. 
Well, someone will say, if no one can live through the Ten Commandments, and that's God's requirement, then, then what are they there for if no one can live up to it? Well, the Bible talks about in the book of Galatians. It tells us that the law is our schoolmaster. What it's there to do is to teach us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of these we have broken. Every single one of these we have sinned and fallen short. In fact, what you need to do on big boxcar bold letters, right over the Ten Commandments, you should write the words, I need Jesus. Because none of us can live up to us. All this is, is the measuring stick to prove to us that I need Jesus. I cannot do it myself. I cannot live a righteous, holy life by myself. I do not have the ability. My flesh is flawed. I have sinned. I need Jesus. And let me encourage you, dear friend, that you cannot get to heaven on your own. You cannot live a good enough life. You've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And your only hope is that Jesus Christ died for you and paid the price that you owed God. And let me tell you tonight, if you haven't ever accepted Christ for your forgiveness of sins, to wash your sins away, to make it so you can have a home in heaven, the greatest thing that can happen to you tonight is for you to find out for sure, to know for sure what Jesus Christ has done for you. And it would be our great privilege to take an open Bible and to show you from the Bible how much Christ loves you. Well, the purposes of tonight is not to show you how sinful you are. The purpose tonight is to understand the purpose of the Bible. If you have never written this statement down, I encourage you to do so now. If you don't have a, uh, have a pad of paper, write on a note, bulletin, something. But you need to have this down. The purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. That is the entire purpose of the Bible, is to reveal God to man, to show us who God is. This is not a book about Moses. It's not a book about David. It is a book about God. And its main and own purpose is to show us who God is. That means if God is to be revealed, he's to be revealed in all of the scriptures. And when God gives us the Ten Commandments, not only does he give us the standards of holiness, but he also reveals to us who God is by each and every one of these commandments. And so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to walk through these Ten Commandments with a purpose of revealing who God is in each one of the Ten Commandments. So if you're writing notes, you already know that I'm having ten points. So as we walk through here, let's see how we can see who God is by each of the commandments. As we go to the first commandment, commandment one, what do we reveal about God? That we should put God first. In the very first commandment, what do we learn about God? That we should put God first. Notice in verse number three, as we come to this third commandment. Remember that as I go through the Ten Commandments. I'm always going to put the preface in here. That I am the Lord thy God. So notice in verse number three. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does this commandment mean? What is the idea here? 
when we put something before God that carries the idea in his sight, this commandment carries the idea that anything that replaces God. Anything that replaces God. Now, the Bible talks about later on that we have the spirit of Antichrist already in this world. That word anti, most people believe, carries the idea of against God. But in fact, that word anti also carries the idea of replacing. So the idea of Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, is the spirit that replaces Christ. Well, this is the heart of this commandment, not to have anything that replaces God in your life. And may I tell you that no other commandment can be broken until this commandment is first broken. You cannot break any of the other commandments if God is God in your life. If God is currently in his rightful place in your life, you cannot break any of these other commandments. This is the heart of the matter. How do you see Christ? How do you see God? Is he God? You know, most people have the choice that either they're God or God is God. It's one or the other. Either you determine what's right for your life or God determines what's right for your life. That's the idea of who's God. Who has control? Someone says, well, God's my God, but I'm going to do what I want. Well, then God's not your God. You are choosing to be God. The heart of everything here is the idea who is God in your life. So what do we learn from this commandment about God? We learn that God wants to be first. That God oughts to be first. That God is preeminent. He is the one and only. That God is commanded to be first. And it's not an egotistical thing. It's not a prideful thing. He is God. He deserves to be put in first place. As we now come to the second commandment. We could see the second commandment listed in verse number 4. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And it goes on in this commandment all the way up to verse number 6. But what do we learn about God in this second commandment? Stop making God small. Stop making God small. Too often in our Christianity, we put an emphasis on his humanity rather than his deity. We put too much emphasis on Jesus robed in flesh than we do of Jesus who is God up above. That mankind has always tried to put God in a box that we could relate to, that we could understand. But God is not in the box. God is God and he is bigger and higher than we can have. In fact, how does the Bible describe the human form of Jesus? Well, in Isaiah 53 verse 2, it says he was out without form or comeliness. That there was, especially when he was on the cross, you could even know, notice that he was a man anymore. God has never tried to picture who Jesus is. And of course all the portraits today. Are all way off. That he wasn't Caucasian. He was Middle Eastern. And there was a different look. And a different style of clothes. And different way of. Than they portray him. In things. 
But there's something about the human mind that if you can put a picture in your head of who Jesus is, it stays there. And every time you think about Jesus, you think of that form. And yet we're supposed to put an emphasis on his deity rather than his humanity. The moment he is reduced to a visual representation, we're bound to lose all real awe and wonder on this almighty and glorious God. You see, God is an amazing God. He is big. He is the God of the universe. And we have to be careful. Now, of course, the idea that is literally taking out of this is that people say we're not supposed to make little statues but it actually goes on and says in this verse nor any likeness we're not supposed to have any type of visual representation of Jesus and again this is for our benefit because we tend to make God small let me give you an example of this or at least the principle that our theology should affect our philosophy. You're saying you're using big words. Our theology is what we believe to be true about God. Our philosophy is what we believe to be true about life. Too often people put it backwards and they make their philosophy affect their theology. Meaning that how they see life is how they then try to fashion and mold and make God into their image. Let me tell you, this is dangerous, but this is the, what this commandment is speaking against. We're not supposed to take God and make him fit into what we think he is like. Whether a human form or in God form, we are supposed to take what God says. In fact, how has God revealed himself? By his words. God has chosen to give us his word to reveal who God is. By the way, he has given us 66 books. Each of them tell us something special and unique about God. And so we need to be familiar with all 66 books. If we do not, if we take a puzzle that has 66 pieces and you only have a couple of pieces in there, then you don't have a complete version of God. Have you ever put a puzzle together and you're missing some pieces when you're done? Well, you don't have a complete picture. Each book of the Bible tells us something special and unique about God. And so if there is a portion of the Bible that you are not familiar with, that is a portion of God that you don't know about, that you're missing that could be a hurt to you. I know some people that says, yes, bless God. That's what people say when they can't curse. Bless God. All I want is the gospel. I just want Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, nothing else. Well, that's only four pieces of the puzzle. You don't have a complete picture of God. I ask people how their Bible reading is. And it's amazing how many people, every time I ask them, they're in one or two books, Psalms or Proverbs. There are other books in the Bible. I guarantee it. And if you've been in Psalms for the last 10 years, you probably should go read something else because you're missing some portions of the Bible. How much do you know about Amos? Amos is a great preacher. He was a southern preacher who went up north to go tell those Yankees, I mean, all those northern people, how to live right. By the way, if you like sarcastic preaching, read the book of Amos. Amos says, hey, why don't you be consistent? If you live 
wrong out there. Why don't you just live wrong in church? Just go ahead and bring your six pack of beer. Be consistent at least. Put it right in the pew beside you. That's called sarcasm. It doesn't mean to bring it. But if you like sarcasm, read the book of Amos. But you know that each book of the Bible tells us something special and unique about God. And so how has God chosen to reveal himself? Not through a movie. How has God chosen to reveal himself? Not through a song. How has God chosen to reveal himself? Not through dreams. He has chosen to reveal himself through his word. And so how is it that we could keep God from being small? Go to his word and look for him. Look for him. God wants us to know about him. And it doesn't matter where you turn to. Whether you turn to First, or First Chronicles chapter 1 through 9. You could still find God there. You could find him in the genealogies. You could find him in the laws. You could find him in the tabernacle. You could find him in the histories. You could find him in the book of Esther where his name is not mentioned at all. You could find him. That's what we're supposed to do is look for him. That we may know who he is and worship him the way that he is chosen. And so the second commandment is there to tell us don't make God small. That we have a big God. And don't put him in a box because he's much bigger than that box. As we come now to the third commandment. We could see the third commandment is listed in verse number seven. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. If that verse doesn't put a chill down your spine. Let me tell you, you're missing something. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now let's define terms. We see this idea take. This means to lift up, especially in a religious setting. So don't take or lift up. Say, use his name. The idea of guiltless here means that you'll be morally not Clean. He will not hold you guiltless. Meaning that he will hold you responsible. For every time you use God's name in vain. Let's use that name in vain. It means to make empty. Or to make light of. Now some people just leave the definition of. Well just don't use God's name in a curse word. By the way. <laughs> be careful with substitutes. Anyone who says, oh my, and then uses God's name, has used it in vain. Every time someone uses the thing, Jesus Christ uses it in vain. That's not talking about our Savior. Even the substitutes, oh my gosh, is taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But let me tell you, this definition goes long, far beyond this. Taking God's name lightly... Is an important thing. Do you know that God's name has meaning? It should mean something. You know every time. How does someone take God's name in vain. Especially in a religious setting. Anytime his name is on my lips. But is not currently burning in my heart. You know when most Christians break this commandment. 
during a song service? Oh, how I love Jesus. What are we having for supper? Oh, how I love Jesus. We had tacos yesterday. Oh, how I love Jesus. Maybe we should go out. That's taking God's name in vain. Anytime his name is on your lips, but is not currently burning in your heart, you have violated this commandment. Never lift up God's glorious and wonderful name without thinking about its meaning and it's sincerely believing in it. Don't take it lightly. Now again, this can go a lot further and you can listen to that message later on. But you understand, even if you call yourself a Christian and you don't live like a Christian, you have violated this commandment because you're bringing a bad name upon Jesus. Now, when I was growing up and I went to school, we'd go on a field trip and they would all get us aside, all of us rascals, and say, listen here, you represent the school and so don't break anything and don't touch anything and don't push anybody down because you're representing the school. You ever remember having that talk when you were in school? You understand you're a Christian and you carry God's name in vain. Let me tell you, if you don't pay your bills on time and you call yourself a Christian, you're taking God's name in vain. You don't have a good testimony. You're taking God's name in vain. Let me tell you, the warning here is that God will not hold you guiltless who take his name in vain. Let me tell you, God's name means something. And for us to put it in the dirt and to trample it underfoot, say that we're Christians and behave like the heathen, it is awful. And God, not preacher, God will not hold you guiltless. This is a big deal. A very big deal. As we go on, what else do we see about God through the Ten Commandments? Notice as we now come to the fourth commandment. I am the Lord thy God. Verse number eight. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What do we learn about God here? That God deserves our time. That God deserves our time. You know what the whole reason why God made man in the first place? Was to fellowship. Now because of sin there was a separation. But Jesus dying on the cross paid for our price. And allowed us once again to have fellowship with Jesus. And what God wants is he wants to spend time with us. So much that he set aside a day where he says I don't want you to go working. I want you to spend it with me. And there are many other commentaries in the Bible on this verse. In fact, we're going to have the message coming up where God specifically addresses this matter. But somebody says, well, he rested. That means I could go fishing. That is not what it says. Jesus died for you. Can't you spend some time with him? He's just asking for a day. Not just Sunday morning. A day to spend time with him. To put your thought. To put your heart upon him. By the way, this is one of the Ten Commandments. Some people are just waiting. All right, I'm checking off the box. Hurry up, preacher. Let's get done. Woohoo! I'm free! 
That shouldn't be our attitude. Do you love the Lord? Do you love Him enough to spend time with Him? After all He's done for you, and He's showing you grace and mercy, and He answers prayer, He died for you. Imagine how messed up it would be if someone had saw you, and that you were fixing to get run over by a car, and they push you out of the way, and they get hit by the car. And they're in the hospital, and they finally slowly recover. But every time you see them afterwards, you just kind of nod at them and ignore them. Wouldn't that be messed up? Well, Jesus died for you. And he's the creator God. He created you. Doesn't he deserve for you to spend some time with him? And so this is the whole principle of this. It's not to go overboard like some of the Orthodox Hebrew people have done. They missed the point. The point was God wants to spend time with us. He wants to spend time with you. Do you want to spend time with him? And so what he did is he commanded a day where you don't have any excuse. I'm sorry I can't because I got laundry and I got work and I got to take the kids to school. All right, well here's a day where you set aside so you don't have all those excuses. So you could spend time with God. Just one day out of the week. To purposely, on purpose, not accidentally. I accidentally spent time with God today. On purpose to spend with Him. And to look forward to it. Not like getting dragged to Aunt Sally's house where you just kind of say, I'm alright, she's going to pick me, pinch me on the cheek and I'll just endure it. Come on, come on, come on. You shouldn't have to endure spending time with God. It should be something you delight in. He's worth it. God is deserving of our time. Notice as we go on to what is called the fifth commandment in verse number 12. I am the Lord thy God. Honor thy father and thy mother. That thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What we see here. What do we learn about this? That God honors authority. God honors authority. The word honor carries the idea of attitude and actions that deal with respect. This has the idea of respect. Obey just deals with an action. Honor deals with the heart of the matter. Respect. To hold in high esteem. To have reverence for. You know God has placed authority in our life. And God always works through biblical authority. That's why he gives it. Biblical authority is not a horrible thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is an umbrella. It is a protection. God has given us many authorities. Children. He has given you parents. And by the way notice this. This is the first commandment with promise. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And it's not just because dad's going to finally have enough of you and break your neck. This is an idea of promise. How you treat your parents will affect you the rest of your life. You say, but you don't understand what scumbags my parents are. Listen, you are never 
under a thing where you don't honor your parents. Even when you move out of the house, you may not be under the obligation to, mer- uh, to obey them, but you're always to honor them, to respect them, to reverence them. This goes with any authority that you have in your life, that God has placed in your life. Whether it's a teacher, whether it's a husband, whether it's a pastor, or even a president. We are always to respect them. Doesn't mean that you have to agree with every little thing. There's times that you may not agree with your parents, but you honor them. Wives, there may be plenty of times where your husband is goofy, but you're still always supposed to respect them. Your pastor may seem to go off the wall, but there is always the idea of honor. God honors, God demands, he honors authority. And this is what we learn about God. Because how you treat authority is how you treat God. If you will not obey visible authority, you will not obey invisible authority. This is an important idea here. This is what we learn about God. By the way, he's not a mean, evil God. We're learning quite a bit about him. He's a God of order. Everything's to be done decently in order, not a chaotic God. Notice as we go on to the next commandment in verse number 13. I am the Lord thy God, thou shall not kill. What do we learn about God from here? That God is love. God is love. You see, God's unchanging character seeks to preserve and deal kindly with people. God is love. God created us and he created us with purpose. And God wants us to deal kindly with him. Remember that Jesus gave commentary on this verse. And he said that if you hated your brother, you've committed murder already. A mental idea. What does it carry the idea? You should love your brother even if he's done you wrong. You should still love others. And remember our belief affects behavior. If I love someone, I cannot strangle them. If I love them... I'm not going to take a knife and stab them. I'll try to ignore that story. had a story the other day where some lady stabbed her boyfriend and then in the neck almost killed him, but turned around and said, I love him, I love him. What? All right, so let me tell you, if you love them, you're not going to kill them. You're going to try to treat them. If you love them, you want the best for them. You don't want them to be run over by a truck. You understand? This is a reflection of God. God does not want to hurt you. Now, he may chasten you and take you out back, but that's a loving father. But God wants the best for you. Just sometimes you're not in the position to receive his best. But God loves you and he wants you. And because a reflection of who God is, God asks us to love others because he loves them and he wants the best for them. God is a God of love. Notice as now we come to this other commandment. Notice with me in verse number 14. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not commit adultery. Now we know adultery in the Bible is a very wicked thing. But remember this carries beyond the idea of adultery. It is any sin 
outside of marriage. Any sexual sin outside of marriage. This is a family of sins. It carries fornication, adultery. It carries a lot of different things. But what do we see in the heart of this? Well, when you commit adultery, what you're doing is you're violating a love and trust that belongs to someone else and putting it to another. That's adultery. Love and affection that belongs to someone else and put it to another. Why does God not want us to commit adultery? Is he because he wants us to limit our fun? No, not at all. What do we see about God's character? God says this because God is always faithful. Always faithful. He is nothing but faithful. We sang that song earlier. Great is thy faithfulness from the book of Lamentations. Let me tell you, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That means there's never a morning where God forgets to put his mercies down. Aren't you glad for that? I'm so thankful. I'm alive because he gives me his mercies are new every morning. Oh, what a great God. He is always faithful. He is nothing but faithful. He's a God who will keep his word. A God who will do what he says. He is a faithful God. Nothing but faithful. That's what we learn about God here. Notice as we go on, as we see another commandment. Notice in verse number 15. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not steal. What do we see about this? We understand the idea of stealing is to take something that doesn't belong to you. Do you know why you don't have to steal? Because God is a provider. He wants to give you things. He loves you enough. If he loved you enough to send Jesus to die on the cross, he also loves you enough to give you $8.49 when you need it. He loves you. He loves you and he wants to supply for you. You don't have to steal because you have a great heavenly father who's able to provide. If we would just depend upon him and trust him and allow him to do his work and put us in a position where he can provide for us. Now, we all know this, that if a child went up to his parents and slapped him in the face and then asked for some money to go to uh, the store... The answer is probably going to be no. You understand? You have to be put yourself in a position for them to say yes. God wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants to provide. We don't have to steal. God could do a better job of providing than we could do if we were forced to take it on our own. Now this covers a whole lot of things. And again, the uh, sin of stealing, uh, it covers a big family. You know, you could steal from your employer. That means you go to work and you spend more time sleeping, snoozing, browsing, and by the water cooler than actually working. One thing that people have lost today is the ability to work. They're pretty good at staying busy. I met a lot of people who are busy that don't get anything accomplished. That's a whole different thing. You could go look in that series and find more. So I don't want to go after hearing all this. I don't want to go look at this myself. I'm already convicted enough as it is. It'll do you good to go back and study these Ten Commandments for yourself. To listen to some of these things. But God is a giver. He wants to provide for us. Notice as we now come on to 
the commandment number nine. Notice with me in verse number 16. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What do we learn about God here? Is that God is truthful. Do you know the Bible says one of the unchangeable things about God is that God cannot lie. All God's statements are truthful and perfect. Now, there are some times that we may say a statement that we don't have enough information and we find out that I was wrong or I'm sorry, I can't agree to this. I didn't know that this was coming up. You know, you may have something on the calendar that someone put on the calendar for you you didn't know about. Sure, I'll meet you at this day here. Oh, I'm sorry. I just feel this came up. Well, you're not intentionally lying, but you don't have all the information. God has all the information. So when he says something, he means it. And it cannot change. It is true because he knows everything. God is truthful. It means when God says, I love you, he means it. That means when God said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means that when you go up to heaven and say, I trusted in God's promise, God said, you know what, I didn't really mean you, I'm sorry. God meant it. He's not going to go back on a promise. He meant it. Everything he says is true and faithful. You could depend upon his promises. You could stand on the promises. By the way, you can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. You need to know what God's promises are. And trust in his word. God is never mistaken. So what do we learn from here? That God is truthful. And now we come to the last commandment. The last commandment, the tenth commandment. In verse number 17, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, so thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor. What this idea of covet carries the idea is it carries the idea of desiring something that's not yours to have. This is the only commandment that is not an action But it deals with the heart. It deals with desire. It's an internal matter. Thou shalt not steal. Stealing's on the outside. It's an action. Honor thy father and mother carries the idea of an action. How I behave towards them. But what we find here. What do we learn about God's character? If he says don't covet. What we learn about God is that God is sufficient. That God satisfies. That he is enough. You know what the only thing to deal with covetousness is? Contentment. That's the only way to deal with covetousness. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. And it comes down to this question. Is Christ enough? Is he enough? If you're at the place where you're desiring more, and by the way, it goes beyond things. You could desire someone else's car. Why can't I have that house? But it also could say, why can't I have that position? Why can't I get the pat in the back? Why can't he say that I'm wonderful? That all deals with the idea of covetous. It's anything that you desire. Can you be satisfied? Is Christ enough? We know that 
it reveals God's character that he is enough. He is enough. Can you be satisfied with him? Let me tell you, he does satisfy. Every person has a Christ-sized hole in them. Remember, we're made up of three parts. We're made up of spirit, we're made up of soul, and we're made up of body. And our body is our five senses. It's how we can tell about the world. Taste, touch, smell, hear, all of those things. In our spirit, we have will, intellect, and emotion. Will, intellect, and emotion. With our soul, we feel. With our soul, we think. With our soul, we make decisions. But our spirit, every person is made with a spirit. The Bible also calls us the candle of the Lord. Now, if I have a candle that's not lit, is it still a candle? And if I light it, is it still a candle? What happens when you get saved, when you come to the place where you realize that you're a sinner and because of your sin you've offended a holy righteous God, but that Jesus paid your price for you when you personally accept Christ as your Savior, when that happens, God lights the candle. That's just a crude illustration to try to understand everyone is born with a spirit. But if their candle is not lit, they're missing something inside and they cannot be satisfied. And people do everything they can to fill that void. Some fill it in with some addiction or another. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's sex, whether it's movies, whether it's video games, whether it's something else. They're trying to. And whenever those things go away, they may make you happy, may give you pleasure for a moment. But when they fade away, you're not satisfied. And someone who is not content is someone that's missing something from the Lord. You can be saved and not content if you're not making your pleasure Christ. If you're not making Him your goal. If you're not learning to be satisfied with Him. Let me tell you, I know that's difficult. It is difficult at times to learn to be satisfied with Him. When you look at yourself, by the way, When you look at yourself, it's flesh. It is flesh. If you're not satisfied with Christ and you desire this, and people can desire this so strongly that it makes them miserable. And that's a real feeling. I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying it's in their head. It's a real thing to desire this so strongly that it affects your health. What is the answer? To learn to be satisfied with him. Remember, it's just like everything else in the Christian life. You develop habits. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. get in the habit of praying. You get in the habit of dying to self. And you get in the habit of being satisfied with Christ. It's not something that automatically happens. It is something that you purposely learn to realize he is enough. And by the way, you will never be ashamed Those that trust him. Those that depend upon him. He will not let you down. Everything else will. Nothing else will satisfy. Everything else will disappear. Some parent who puts their hope and their trust in their child. Their child's going to break their heart. And they're going to be left with nothing. If they're not tied into Christ. Someone who's putting their love in a spouse. That spouse will not last forever. If that spouse is gone and that's what they're put their hope and the contentment with, then they're not going to be satisfied. We have to be satisfied with Christ. Those that have a job and they identify themselves as that profession, when that profession is no longer there, they have nothing to live for. They will die. 
Are you satisfied with him? Is he enough? Someone said, well, you don't realize that he's enough until he's all that you have. If we could avoid that, that's best. But he is enough. Now, again, it's easier said than done. But when you learn to be satisfied with him, all of life is better. All of life has meaning. All of life satisfies. Day by day is fulfilling. If you learn to be satisfied with him. Because he is enough. He can fill every void in your heart. He can fill everything that is missing. If you learn to be satisfied with him. So what we've done here. Is we've just taken the Ten Commandments. Explained them. But we also looked for what? How do we see God? By the way, if you take this to your Bible reading and every time you read your Bible, you say, God, show me something about you, he will. It doesn't matter where you turn to, the minor prophets. You could turn to the prophecies. You could turn to the laws. You could turn to the genealogies. But if you're looking for God, he will be found. It will revolutionize your Bible reading. You said, I can't wait to see what God is going to tell me about himself today. And look for him. And to find him. And he is enough. See, when we go through the Ten Commandments, we realize that the Ten Commandments, they're not for our standard of living because we can't live there. They're our schoolmaster. But more importantly to tell us where we went wrong, it tells us who he is. Who he is. Who is God to you? Maybe one of these Ten Commandments reveals something about God that you need work on. Does God satisfy? Does God give? Do you realize that God is faithful? Maybe you make God small. Maybe you have the hard time of taking God's name in vain because you find yourself talking about Jesus, singing about Jesus, but you're not thinking about him. He's not burning in your heart. Maybe there's one of these commandments that you need to take for yourself and say, Lord, help me to see you clearly concerning this matter. Help me to know you more that I may know him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.